Hello to you all, it's Molly here. Welcome to this week's episode of In Fairness Inquire, Roscommon Artists, a special series of our podcast which is dedicated to interviewing astounding creative artists that are based here at home in Roscommon. In these interviews, we're going to be talking to actors, theatre makers, drama facilitators, comedians, writers, directors, poets, producers, a dancer and a weaver. We're going to be discussing how they started in their profession, obstacles they have faced along the way, how they've been impacted by the pandemic, the importance of creativity in their lives, their influences, how they stay motivated to keep creating, and most importantly, how you, the listener, can support their work. We want to make audiences all around the world aware of the constant stream of Roscommon-based creative work, and we also hope this series might encourage some of you to support local art, recognise its necessity, and maybe even pursue some creative endeavours of your own. This series comes to you thanks to the generous support of Roscommon County Council, who have kindly commissioned this series and endorsed us with the necessary equipment and software to record the interviews safely and remotely during the summer of 2021. Bridget Kavanagh was born in 1926 in Bonamocca in County Roscommon. She is a writer and poet whose first book was published in 2020. She was reared on a small farm by her parents. She was one of ten surviving children. She left home for England in late 1944 when she was 18, where she commenced nursing training in St Albans, London. It was there that she met her husband, Michael Kavanagh, They married and returned home in 1948, settling in Dublin, where Bridget still lives today. Bridget wrote a lot in her youth and was kindly encouraged and praised by her teachers for her creative talent. Aged 12, as a part of the 1938 folklore collection in schools, she wrote a story given to her by her father, who was a big inspiration to Bridget in her early life as he was a renowned storyteller in the parish. Later in her life, when her daughter was a teenager, she encouraged her mum to write about Roscommon because of the interesting characters her mother described from there. She started writing regularly in the early 1980s on a typewriter. Ironically, this was while she was recovering from breaking both of her wrists after an accident. She attended writer's classes, courtesy of Dundrum Adult Training and Education from 1984, and continued to write over the next decade. Bridget had attempted on multiple occasions to get published, but struggled without the representation of an agent. It was in the early 1990s that she submitted insightful collections of her rural childhood to Ireland's Eye magazine. This was followed by contributions to Ireland's own, and many of her stories have since been published in both magazines. These stories form the basis of her book, In My Mind's Eye, Walking Amongst Ghosts, also intermingled with biographical and historical accounts of people and events mainly connected to Roscommon. Bridget is a long-time member of the Roscommon Association in Dublin and had her first article published in the Roscommon Association Yearbook of 1993. She has made regular contributions to this and to its successor, Roscommon Life. As recently as 2018, one of her stories was included in New Roscommon Writings, Her family helped Bridget collect her work, published and unpublished, under the one roof, so to speak, in My Mind's Eye, Walking Amongst Ghosts. 95 stories and poems, one for every year of her life so far.
when did you when did you leave Roscommon, Bridget? I left in 1944. Okay. So when I was 18. Yeah. And uh, I I uh, spent a very short time in the hospital in Donnybrook, but there was no training there. So then I went to England, St Albans, mm. and uh, I got married there. I returned to Dublin and had my family, raised my oh, family well. in Dublin. In Renla and in first, and then after 20 years or 21 years, we moved to Dundrum, uh, which I'm very happy yeah. to say because uh, it meant that they created a writing class in Dundrum in 1984. Mm-hmm. And uh, my good friend, Anya Miller, became the tutor. When I, Pauline uh, Brady was the tutor for a, f- a couple of years, and then Anya Miller became our tutor. And she's been there ever since, except now this virus has mm. uh, affected her. Like she can't teach or anything. Like so, I hope some of the a lot of the clients are dead. Some of them are dead, but I hope that she'll get back because she loves tutoring. Yeah. So, and and Bridget. And uh, you uh, that's that's lovely. And you you started writing before you joined the creative writing oh, I class. Did, yes. Now, and funny what enough, I didn't think of writing at all when I was uh, rearing my family or when I was young. I did mm. write the odd kind of a poem when I was young, but not serious. And then I didn't write at all when I was rearing my family. It didn't even occur to me. But then my daughter, when she was a teenager, and she said to me, Mammy, why don't you write about Roscommon? And I said, why? Well, she said, there's so many interesting people there. Yeah. And I said, oh, are they interested? Because I, w- I grew up with them, so I didn't think they were particularly. And then I, I started writing about the neighbours who were, who were indeed, they were mostly single people, but they were very interested. I call them interested people, not odd, because they, weren't, uh, they were more interested than odd to me. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, she, uh, I tried to get published then, when I had I broke my wrist and had an operation, and uh, I thought to pass the time, I began to think about having it published, mm-hmm. and uh, I couldn't because I was refused by a few uh, a few publishers. But one suggested, I think it was Macmillan, that I write send my articles to magazines. Mm-hmm. So I sent them to uh, Ireland's Eye, uh, the Roscommon Association in Dublin which was very strong at the time. It was called the Yearbook. And then they went to, uh, it, it went, changed its name then. And uh, it went to a Yearbook rather than Association. And then on Ireland's own, and even one Sunday Miscellany I got into, one one. Oh, I love Sunday Miscellany. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's failed a bit lately, but I, I, yeah. I, I've always listened to it. And uh, then it was more difficult to get into that because at the time, some people seemed to have a monopoly. Way, yeah. way back. Yeah, I'd agree, yeah. There was one very swanky-sounding doctor. I can't think of her name now. And then there was Malik, what was his name, Sweeney. He was in charge for years and years and years. And then they kept changing their people in charge. Mm. But anyway, and Bridget, where did the love for writing come from? I don't know. I, well, first of all, my father was a storyteller. Yeah, now, we didn't regard him as that when we were growing up. But we had a lot of people into the house in the winter's nights 
and they were called ramblers. Yeah. And he kept them, kept them interested in his stories because he was very fond of ghost stories. According to himself, he had met a lot of ghosts. And do you we, believe him? We believed him, we did, yeah. One yeah. my sister said to me, oh, no, she said, I don't believe, my older sister said, I don't believe Daddy at all, you know. And I said, oh, I believed him. And a lot of the young people who called to the house did believe him and they were scared to go home <laughs> after the session. But so uh, your father was a storyteller and did was. any other inspiration uh, inspire he you to... He considered himself, but he kept the people interested in, you know, when they were rambling. Because yeah. there were no and what were what were the ramblers? They were just neighbours who came in. They could come in to listen to his, to, to his stories or talk about every general subjects, <coughs> or play cards, or then we had our dances. Sometimes we had dances in the house because there were no hall dances when I was very young. And yeah. uh, afterwards we had Cayleys in the hall, which was built in thirty six. But now it's derelict. Nothing happening in it. But uh, we people were interested in, in his stories, and uh, then I, I have it all written in the book about what happened. Yeah, anyway, and you. Um I gave up hoping then about having it published. I said I was very foolish. I didn't realise I had to have an agent. Okay. And uh, I knew nothing about the, the publishing business. But yeah. then I realised I had to have an agent. So I left it at that. But then my my son was looking through. They were trying to tidy me up because they think I'm a clutterer. And uh, he found a lot of my writings, which I hadn't destroyed. I had destroyed some of them. Oh, copied. no. Well, I, at that time, when I did typewriter, you had to copy them. Yeah. You know, and then I had an ordinary manual typewriter, and then I had a word processor, and then my children bought me a, a computer for my 80th birthday. But that went went off when some scam to destroy oh, it. Oh, no, it oh, got a hacked. You know, these foreigners from yeah. India, wherever they come from. They, yeah. they destroyed the computer. It and everything's be, lost, yeah. So then my, some of my family had bought me a desktop one. Okay. That's what I work on now. Okay. Now. And then um, where did the inspiration for the stories come from? It's very clear you have a deep well, appreciation trouble, for Roscommon. The trouble is I'm, I'm not, I never regarded myself as a creative writer. But yeah. when you had a method, sometimes she said, she gave us cards, a different one to each pupil. She said, here's a name and an occupation and the theme. So in that case, I would try writing a, creating mm. a story, which I did. But uh, otherwise, <laughs> I would prefer to write from truth, you know, yeah. things that happen. Or just... And you have a great ability to describe um, Roscommon and the countryside you grew up in. And I'd read your book and I'd look out the window and think, God, you know, that's that's where we come from. That's our county. And it's really yeah. beautiful. And would you say uh, rich descriptions is something that you strive for in your writing? Is that important to you in your writing? I never realised that I had any descriptive powers, but it was just thinking about them afterwards that, you know, I... People said that I have, 
So yeah. Oh, you definitely yeah. do. No. Absolutely. Because uh, people said to me, I must have had a very happy childhood. And that didn't occur to me at the time. Mm. Be- because uh, I just thought it was like everyone else. But we didn't see the harm in the world that people see now. All the things yeah. that have happened. And yeah. then, of course, religion is gone. And so people were very religious that time. My yeah. mother would always say, if anything happened that wasn't good to the cattle or they got the scour or the red water or whatever they got, or the, she'd say, oh, it's God's will. But yeah. Whatever happened was God's will. And now people don't look at it like that. No, and it's very different. I now, never yeah. heard them moaning about things. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't moan. Yeah. And, and Bridget, you, um, didn't you live in London during World War Two? Uh, yes, I did. St. Albans is North London, really, not far from. It only took a half an hour on the fast train to get to the mid-London. Mid okay. And what was that like, living in London well, during that the, time? The beauty of it was that uh, St. Albans was, it was a residential city and a very ancient city at that because the cathedral, uh, DX, which was originally Catholic, dates from the 13th century, I think it is. And it's a very large nave in it. I think it's the largest in England. And uh, uh, because it was residential, it wasn't bombed, to my knowledge. Okay. So we didn't have that bother with bombing and rushing to the area shelter and all that, which other people had. But then a lot of a lot of English women were expected to join the army, or the land army. Where and. I remember one who joined nursing, and she was a she was a person who needn't do anything. You know, she had a, an income, a private income, uh, but she was, you know, she wasn't the best nurse in the world because she was used to being attended rather than looking after people. But uh, she was, we used to so the Mayo girls used to laugh at her. Th- there were two Mayo girls, and they used to really have a good laugh, especially when she brought in her little toy dog on her day off. Oh, and, on the and then she had a four court, which people didn't have then. Yeah, and she was, you know, she, she was a. So that was, but she didn't want to join the land army or the army, so that's why she joined. She went north. Okay, right, and uh, Bridget, you have a real pride and appreciation for Roscommon. And it yes, really shines through in your book. Yeah. And it's not something, it's like what you were saying, how things have changed so much since your childhood, because I would never see that pride or appreciation for Roscommon in my generation. No. So, so what would you what would you have to say about that? Well, I don't know what it is, but I think it's like when you're older, you get the pride more than when Maybe, you're a child oh yeah. or youth. <coughs> I think, as I say, I didn't realise it when I was young, but uh, it's uh, I had the benefit too of my brother had moved to a different uh, place. He, he still lives in Roscommon. He's he's eighty nine. This is Pete, and isn't he it? He had moved away because he married a girl who had a place, and that's how he's changed residence. So my old home was there, with nobody married in it. You know. And mm. so we were welcome to go down there every summer to mm. my parents. And uh, 
Then the same applied in Galway. My husband's brothers mm. wasn't married. So we had Galway free as well. Mm. So, and Galway has a good interest in this book, I see. Oh, yes. Because he's then born as a shop in Galway, and he's, he is, he's uh, sold a lot of books. And uh, O'Gorman, they had, a, they had a big shop in Galway when I first went to Galway, O'Gorman's, and then it became oh, one of the, these, what you call it, Neeson's, it became Neeson's. Yeah. Or the yeah. sword for Neeson's. So that was a very big shop in, in its time in Galway. And uh, as Neeson's now, I suppose it is, but I haven't been in Galway for a few years. Yeah. And, uh, but they're, they're buying, they're selling well in Galway, I believe. Yeah. I uh, I bought mine from Charlie's Bookshop in Galway, Your uh, you. my copy of your book. But oh, I so saw did I. It <laughs> in, uh, I saw it available in, what's it called, Born. News Round in Roscommon Town. Where? News Round what? in Roscommon yeah, Town. It was yeah, fill, fill son, a whole my shelf. Son works, my son works in Roscommon when there's no virus. Oh, right. I see. Town. And of course he's off now. That's mm. why he had also that they had the time to devote to the book. Mm. Because, uh, well, they picked the stories and everything. I didn't yeah. have that any. And the, the, the son in Dublin, Sean, sent articles by email to my son in Roscommon. Yeah. And that's how they worked it out and showed the articles. So I thought it was clever the way they did it. Very clever. For reading it, it feels very coherent. You know, it flows. Yeah. And is there any one story or poem in particular that would be your favourite? I was going to read an article of prose about the day we went to the bog, about bog, the turf bog. Yeah. And it's very long, so I think it'd be too long to read. They're asking about your favourite, Manny. I can't think of a favourite. I can't think of any particular one now. But uh, That's all right. I think, I think that the love that you were talking about before, the love of that. But I think but my mother's love of Murramukka, my uh, the townland where I, she and I were born. Yeah. Uh, that gave, it was her attitude that gave me the love of Roscommon, I think. because. And what kind of, how would you describe that attitude? Well, she thought there was nowhere in the world like Roscommon, like Murramukka. Yeah. <laughs> She's <laughs> right. <laughs> and the trouble was, she died a few months after coming to Dublin to stay with us. Oh dear. And that was killed her because well we brought her back to bury her in Strokestown. She's buried in Strokestown, but it would have killed her to think that she, she didn't die in her own home. Well, yeah. She only came up for a few months. She was 93, so that's why uh, we took her to Dublin. Mm. And, uh, mm. But she was the one, I think, that gave me the love. Mm. There's no place like home. <laughs> oh, there's no place for her like Bunamukka. Yeah. I'm um, not uh, I'm not too far from Bunamukka, Bridget. I'm in Lismurtha. Big one. I'm near I'm in Lismurtha near Tulsk. Oh I didn't know where that was. I hadn't heard it. And when my uh, son yeah. Declan comes up from Strokestown every couple of weeks. And he was here now from Wednesday to Friday, yes this week. And I said, Where is Lismurtha? And he said, oh, it's beside another townland, which I know or heard of. Mm. I said, it's in Tulsk. Are you that where you're from? Tulsk oh. would be my nearest village. Oh, Yeah. Uh, Tulsk would be maybe a five minute drive away. But uh, I'm very close to Ogula. I'm very close to Ogula well. And 
speaking of Roscommon, is it right that you uh, were at the match where Roscommon oh, won yeah. the All Ireland final? <gasps> That's true. My what year was that? Forty-four. The second Amazing. brilliant thing award. Yeah. What was that well, like? My sister and her, her friend Annie Hunt from Clonfree, they came up uh, to Dublin for the match and the coach. And my, I was in the incurable hospital at the time for a couple of months. Mm. But I happened to be there at the time. And they came up, came to the hospital, took me to the match in Croke Park. And I, therefore, I saw Jimmy Murray raising the cup <gasps> in, in victory. And it, it was a, due to her that I got to see that. Yeah. My, my sister Mamie, she was, she was 11 years older than me, but she had taken the children from England because she was worried about what was happening to them during the war. Mm. She had taken her children from England her, and uh, that's why she was living in, in with my parents for the time, at the time. Mm. So that's how I saw the Roscommon. Not, not that I knew anything about football. <laughs> yeah, no, to, no, we're the same. Yeah, we know <laughs> nothing about football, but we'd love to see Roscommon win the final yeah, again. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I was hoping I'd see it happen again, but no, I haven't seen it happen. Not but yet. My mother, my mother yet. always called it the kicking. The kicking? Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> no matter the kicking. Not Very good. Yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, that reminded me now of something that you wrote in your book. Um, because ye all worked so hard during your childhood to keep things yeah. going, you, you said in the book, you never really had the privilege of relaxing to play oh. football or play yeah. sports. No. Could you talk didn't. a little bit about that? Well, girls didn't play football at all. That was a man's uh, pastime. Right. And then <clears throat> there was a tennis uh, club outside Strokestown on the, we used to pass on the way from school, but we didn't join that. The townspeople did. The townspeople yeah. had hobbies on the lake, Clunfree Lake and different places, but we didn't because we were kept busy when yeah. we weren't at school or when we weren't, uh, we, you know, school was only, we had to work when we came home from school, change our yeah. clothes, eat our dinner, change our clothes, and then we'd be helping with all the farm work. Yeah. So we didn't have time for, the only, the only uh, game we ever played was, we used to play shop. Yeah, oh, very good. for money or, I don't know what else for money, and our little cherries for yeah. money. And uh, that's all because we weren't raised to, to have hobbies. Yeah, because you were too hard working like. No, because we had enough to do. We, had, we were occupied otherwise. Mm. I think hobbies are for people who have the time for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Mad how things have changed over the years. And what would you say? What's Ireland, what is Ireland like today c compared to that Ireland where you grew up in? Well, I regret the changes. We've gone right. very, people went very wasteful. They're, yeah. they're doing, there's a lot, not a lot of waste going on, whereas we were raised very thriftily. Because yeah. first of all, we had the economic war when people couldn't sell their cattle all through the 30s. And then the, things were rationed during the emergency. So... We didn't waste anything mm. and we didn't have all the luxuries. In a way, it was good because it meant we didn't put on weight like the children nowadays do. 
there's a lot of them seem to be overweight. Yeah, obesity is a chronic problem now. People were religious then, mostly people were religious. Yeah. They had a belief that people don't seem to have now. So I think everything was very good in the 50s, Mm. except that uh, there wasn't enough work for people. But then we weren't affected that much. But uh, they had to uh, immigrate more. But you you could leave your door open. You could leave, you could walk the streets yeah. in safety in, in Dublin, even. Yeah. And that has changed. Things have gone to the bad in that line. And you talk there about, you know, being able to leave the doors open and ramblers yeah. coming in and people coming in for dances and playing cards and things like yeah. that. Do you have any memories of that that stand out to you? Oh, I remember as well. And I remember before Christmas, people used to have a, a turkey drive. They called it a turkey all drive. Right. Though we always had a goose for Christmas dinner, but they saw the turkeys. But then for Christmas, anyone who raised a turkey, turkeys, would, so, would uh, have a turkey drive. And that means that the men came in and paid so much towards the drive to, to win the turkey. And one of them won the turkey. Oh, yeah. well. But our, it was the goose now to the turkey. And uh, it was, you know, and then we'd have a turkey to eat. But nowadays I would consider a goose. It's a luxury these days now to have a, tur- a goose. Yeah, I, absolutely. I consider the meat too strong now. Or, or mm. duck. Duck meat is very strong as well. Whereas in those days, you know, I wouldn't because I had a p- p- good appetite. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever feel like you needed to preserve these stories, that you wanted them to live long into the future? For well, a snapshot of Roscommon to yeah. live into people's Leitrim memories. is a very old-fashioned county too. Mm. But, uh, and I met a lot of Leitrim people, I liked them. Yes, it's nice to preserve those stories because that was my first motive when my daughter said I should write, just to preserve them for the family or anyone. I wasn't thinking of publishing at the time. And uh, until later I did think of it when I had them done. But uh, yeah, I think they should be preserved because, you know, those folklore preserved in the 1938, we were sent around, our folklorists uh, uh, wanted us, asked us to collect uh, stories from our grandparents. Uh, Mine were dead. My grandparents were dead, so I didn't yeah. know them. And uh, all my parents, and I heard stories from my parents about milk superstitions and the dead, you know, when they used to take the dead hand out of the grave and push it under the churn. That was uh, witchcraft. Yeah. But I didn't see anyone doing that. And it was supposed to be someone was passing by a graveyard in Tulsk one night, and they heard these people digging. And they were digging a corpse out of the uh, dead hand. Gee, the dead no. hand used to be put under the churn so that you get the butter of all the neighbours. <laughs> Terrible. That was bad. All oh, my goodness. Craft. Yeah. And the, a lot of children wrote about that in 1938. Now, I wrote about the Pagnamahan family because they had a carriage. I think it's in Westmead now with the other, another family of... And uh, they, it used to be seen going from uh, Clone Free, 
Quite of the palace. Called, we call it the palace. It's only a mansion. Uh, it's a stroke town. Uh, you know, headless horses, all that story. Oh, so, right. Oh, chills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I should put the, send the shiver down your spine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, Bridget, I read one chapter one night that uh, really, really stuck with me because I, I dreamed about it after I went to sleep. And it was your chapter, it was your short story about folk yours. Yeah. Could you tell the listeners about a few, if you can recall any off the top of your head? Well, we were all vaccinated when we were babies against smallpox. And we had the yeah. marks on our arm from it. Mm. I had three marks on my arm. And <laughs> apart from that, we, did, we, we didn't go to a doctor after that. Like if you got jaundice, which was common enough, there was a folk cure for that. And uh, different, you know, from the animals, where that was, the animals caused some problems too. I can't think of them now. But uh, no, we didn't have to go to a doctor. I was 13 or 14 when I first went to a doctor. And I had my tonsils removed when I was 13. And uh, then I went to the doctor when I was, you had to be passed when you were going to England, you know, for your mm. Bridget, could we hear one of your poems, please? Yes, yes. And I hope you like this now. My daughter came across this recently. This isn't in the book. Because my daughter only came across it recently. There were, okay. I've got one daughter and five sons. Oh, well. This is I, I'm From, it's called. And I'm from open spaces, green fields, hedges, trees. Golden crops of corn rustling in the breeze. Seasons changing landscapes. Winters, bleach grass and swollen rivers. Springs ploughing, harrowing, sowing. Granaries filled with harvest bounty. I'm from mother's kitchen. Open fire on hearth. Apple, rhubarb pies, mouth washing, yet tart. Homegrown bacon, cabbage, potato bread, pancakes, box tea bread, soda and caraway seedy cakes, vegetable marrow jam, which my mother made, bees wine distillation, winter storytelling ramblers, dancing, card playing. I'm from father's workshop where he sawed, chiselled, tongue grooved with accuracy, shot tires, sandpapered and lead painted. Underfoot, a carpet of wood shavings. Entertaining clients as he laboured for little monetary but adequate reward. Now in a much changed setting, my life's urban, not urbane. Surrounded by concrete buildings, ordered parkland, shopping news. I thank God and science wonders for technology I enjoy today. For traditions that were but while suffering brief moments of nostalgia for traditions that we've lost along the way. Wow. Gorgeous, Bridget. Thank you. Thank Mahu. you so much. And technology Thank you for sharing that with us. But, but it's just yeah. that it, it happened to have changed so much of, of what was good. Like and everybody, I mean, the washing machine was wonderful. Mm. Mm. That was great. Electricity was the main 
benefit we got. And yeah. then all the benefits that came with electricity. So. Mm. And you're and talking a lot about food there. Would you have a lot of memories with food? You're talking about your mother's tarts and the bread and the box tea. Very, very plain food. Like my mother made all the bread. She mm. made, uh, there were cakes, so called cakes. And we rarely bought a loaf. And then there were only loaves that weren't sliced. There were batch yeah. loaves. And uh, she, women in the country, baked all the bread, uh, brown bread. And sometimes they got their own wheat uh, milled. Yeah. Brown bread and white bread. And uh, then we had mostly bacon and cabbage because, you know, they wouldn't, country people wouldn't be going to town every day and there'd no fridges. Yeah. So they wouldn't be going to town every day. So that meant bacon kept, it was salted, salted and kept. It didn't go off. And an odd chicken meal for a special occasion. Or maybe an odd cut of beef. Lovely. So, so or, and then, uh, then we didn't have any luxury food like, well, and thank God we didn't because we didn't put on weight like now. We didn't have all the luxuries of children nowadays. And it's hard to blame them because it's available for them, you know. Mm. But uh, we didn't have that, which was a relief. And it's mental how widely that. available oh, things yes, are now. Oh, yes. My mother made pies. She called them pies. And she, instead of using margarine or butter, she used thick cream. Oh, yeah, lovely. Thick to top cream. Gorgeous. For, you know, to... Uh, for the for the tarts or the pies, and apple or rhubarb, whichever was in season, mm. she used, and she was very good at that. And my children used to love it when they went down to her, because her pies were different to mine. Mine were very flat, <laughs> and hers were lovely raised up pies. And they, when she got older, then they used to ask her to make pies for them. And they used to get the oven ready, or the the pan ready, and the lid and all that, so that she make them the pies. <laughs> Bridget, you talk wonderfully about um, when you moved to the city, this appreciation for your rural childhood sort of came up through your writing. But I'd love to know what it was like for you to come from a life like that into Dublin, where things were just so different well, and so busy it was very strange when people i think in one way you were more mature than the, than the youngsters of asia nowadays you were definitely mm -hmm. you were independent rather than mature i suppose and yeah. nowadays girls of asian or boys of asian still think they should be looked after by their parents and i can't understand that because we went to england and then we had to get used to a different country there was no way of communicating with parents no phones except through writing letters and yeah. letters were popular because that was the only communication we had and we waited then for a year before we got holidays so you know you didn't see your parents or any of your so that it was great to get home after a year yeah and meet your parents and friends so you'd appreciate it more yeah you would mm. and there was a big fuss made of you <laughs> they were glad well, to see it, you back it's yeah. still the same now because me and Misha have been in Dublin for the last three years in university yeah. are you living in Dublin? well we used to now we came home when the virus hit mm. yeah. yeah 
But uh, no, like myself and Misha would have experienced that culture change of moving up to the city. And oh, we were very independent as well. There was no one minding us. And no. <laughs> lucky, lucky to get home once a month, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, and now my, I saw that with my nieces. And yeah. even though she's independent, the eldest girl, she used to go home on the bus every Friday. She was in civil service and she used to go home every Friday. Yeah. And, uh, but she was, she was independent. Yes, she... You know, she was, yeah. she got that chance of of uh, keeping in touch by going and bringing them loads of things, you know. Mm, yeah. She used to do that. So uh, it, it, it changed very much in the period between, but we were used to immigration, you know. Yeah. I had sisters in Canada and in Australia, one spent years in Australia and in England. So that it was only, a couple of us who remained in Ireland and uh, afterwards I mean, I mean I came back to Dublin but uh, and it was my father-in-law that was responsible for getting me back to Dub getting us back to Dublin because we came home from England <coughs> with the intention of going back after a Christmas holiday and he said to us oh you're not going back to that country that's starving you and he said to his other son you get a job for Michael I get a house for him or a place to live. And he said he would build us a house. I he had built their own house, but he was going to build us a house. And he was mm. just a farmer, you know. Mm. And uh, then Michael was too proud. He wouldn't take advantage of him. So mm. then he, we did come to Dublin, but there was a whole year before he got a right job. It was hard to get working in uh, Dublin at that time. Yeah. Galway was bad, but Dublin was nearly as bad. Wow. And uh, and so why was there no work? And there was no social welfare, you see. Yeah. Why was there no work, ma'am? There was no work because uh, <coughs> there was plenty of work in England because they were building up after the war. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were building up England after the war, building up the cities. Yeah. But in Ireland, that's why... We'd get better wages over there too. Yeah. But mm. anyone who could would come back to Ireland. Do you want no to place uh, like home? <laughs> no place like home. <laughs> um, Bridget, can we hear your other poem? Oh, it, we have time it, for for another poem. The other one might be better rather than the than the story is too long. It's in much the same line, but it's just that. You know, the other story, it might be too long and this is short. No problem. Now, this is like uh, waking up and wondering where you are. Sometimes that could happen to people. Mm. But this is a homework that I got from Anya. We got from Anya. Where on earth am I? There was the title. Running barefooted on carpet of luxuriant grass. Plucking primroses, buttercups, cowslips daisies to chain, ignoring thistles, dandelions, so profuse, gathering mushrooms after a shower of rain, pulling boulons from the roots, stubborn grip, gathering stones from pre-ploughing clay, treasure chainy shards of willow pattern delf, used as goods and cash in pretend shop play. Doing chores before nightfall begins. Driving turkeys, geese, 
ducks to their homes, houses, to roost unaided, climb the cackling hills, less cunning Reynard in shadow lounges. For personal <coughs> and household. <coughs> For personal and household usage, usage draw, clear water springing from rocks below, doesn't spring wells, cleaning, cleaning the globe, trimming the wick, filling the lamp with paraffin, let light through darkness glow. Where on earth am I? In second childhood, I suppose, I surmise. Not such a bad place to be really. So where is the surprise? Home. <laughs> That's it. I love that line in Gorgeous. second childhood, I, I surmise. Which? Uh, in second childhood, I surmise. I love yeah, that line. Yeah. Uh, in second childhood, I surmise. Yeah. Gorgeous. Because that's like what come, come in a dream that you were back to the old place. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what are um, what are buchalons? Buchalons are ragwort. Ragwort. Oh breed. yes. Yellow yellow ragwort. But oh. We we were put to we had to do all those jobs when we were children. Yeah, pulling them uh, because they were really poisonous. To pull to... The, unless after showers of rain, when yeah. the soil was soft, uh, if you if you were put pull the bull out when there was a heat wave, well you'd have a hard job. Oh God, yeah, to, to be very reluctant to come away from the clay. Yeah, but we they were, they were um, condemned. Uh, knocked, they were regarded as noxious weeds, and that was an offence. The guards mm. will be out after you, but I see the boat going places now. And nobody seems to interfere with them. You know, the yeah. guards aren't after you now. Yeah, but that's but just because it's poisonous to livestock, isn't it? It's poisonous, and you see, yeah. that's why uh, the goats can eat any poison, apparently, mm. and that's why yeah. their milk is so precious, and there's a cure in their milk, because they eat oh. every weed there there is and herb there is, whereas. The sheep would probably get poisoned by those bullion breeds. Okay. Or cattle, but the yeah. the goat you see doesn't get poisoned. That's why he's a, he's a good one to have with sheep. Yeah. Eat yeah. Sheep. No crime. No coronavirus. Stuff. No coronavirus getting the goat. <laughs> no, no Chinese virus. Yeah. And Chinese, uh, yeah. what are what are uh, what are Cheney shards? Big one. What are Cheney shards? Cheneys. Oh, when when we were picking stones off the land, you had to do that too. If the if, the, if it was going to be ploughed, lee land was going like that was the ordinary field. If the lee land was going to be ploughed, <coughs> you had to go around picking all the stones off the ground and, and keeping them in a, in a, some container. <coughs> and uh, very often you found Cheneys, bits of broken delf. Yeah, and it was often the, the willow pattern pieces. You'd find them among the stones. And how did they get there? I have no idea. They were probably, oh. I'll tell you, I, I just remember now how they got there. <coughs> they were thrown on the dung heap when they were broken. And then the oh, dung I was see. spread on the land. That must be how it was. The oh, dung okay. was spread, the top dress, kind of the proper top dress and not like the Guiana, the Guiana which came from South America. But uh, 
that was, it came from the top dressing, I'd say. That's why it happened to be out in the fields. Oh, okay. And uh, is Reynard, is that another word for fox? Reynard the fox, yeah. Okay, Reynard yeah. A nightmare. An awful devil. And I can't get over the fact that city people are feeding foxes, my daughter included. Yeah, the foxes run the place in Dublin. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They come into the garden here, but I'm not able to chase them. <laughs> yeah. Come into my garden and my daughter feeds them. I said, are you mad? Because <laughs> I said, they robbed everyone of chickens and lambs. Yeah. And yeah. Awful, awful animals. And uh, she said, are you sorry for them? I said, no. I said, I, I don't care if the mother is killed and leaves the young ones and they can die as well. I'm no, <laughs> I have no heart at yeah. all for foxes. Because yeah. then my my brother and his wife used to have their chickens or their, yeah, their chickens stolen as well. And then yeah, the other yeah. animal came along. The, well, what is, what's the other animal that came The mink time? is very bad. Minks are, minks are, minks are devils, yeah. The time they had a mink stole all their chickens. Yeah. So that happened to me, yeah. yeah. Horrible. Isn't it? Because, I mean, that's the people's livelihood. You're not just, yeah. it's not just foolishness, it's uh, is that your lively because a fox will kill every chicken in the in the in the shed mm-hmm. in, in the fowl house and you know he might be only able to carry one away but he'll kill them all that's yeah. it yeah well, and the hens the hens were very clever though they could climb up on there yeah hen. they don't need to be to be put into the shed to go in themselves absolutely that, they don't when it's time to go to bed <laughs> But now people aren't allowed to rear chickens or anything with the EU restrictions. Um, Bridget, you talk about writing um, factual, you write memoirs about your life and it's factual, but the way you compose these poems is very creative. So where did the um, where did the love for poetry come from? Well, I always loved poetry. Now, yeah. a nun in school said to me, Sister Lucia, that I'd love to know if any of her relatives are still living around Roscommon Town. Because she was, uh, what was her name? At the moment, now it left my head. But no she was the nun that encouraged us to to write. And she used to, uh, we had a composition every week. And she would get me to read out my compositions. Now, I didn't think there were anything extraordinary. But she said to me one day, you will be a writer. Oh, you know, that's lovely. And I showed no signs of it in afterlife. Because I went to see her one time when I, had, when I was living in Dublin. And <coughs> I didn't, you know, I showed no signs of writing. But yeah. uh, she said that to me. And uh, she... Uh, but she was from Roscommon Town. Gately was her name. Okay. And someone, I think it was Dara Kelly, that was to find out where, <coughs> yeah. where, her, where any of her family still living around Roscommon Town. Because I think it is a Roscommon name. Yeah. Gately. Oh, lovely. That's lovely encouragement from a young age as well. Yeah. And, uh, no, I didn't think, but... Sometimes I made up little things that were only not real poem poetry. What do you call them, Simone? Like limericks or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But uh, it was. Uh, 
Southern Baptist Bible. I, I loved, we, and we weren't going to school. The nuns were very patriotic, the Sister right. Mary's. And then it wasn't so long after independence, I suppose, the next decade or whatever. Yeah. And she said, uh, we had that, the death of Owen Rowan, and she used to bring us to the class. She used to bring us, uh, she said, one girl is it come out with, did they dare? Did they dare to slay on Row O'Neill? And then the other the whole class would say, Yes, they slew with poison, him they feared to meet with steel. And then the whole class there between two girls, and the whole class would say, yeah. May God wither up their hearts, may their blood cease to flow, may they walk in living death, those who poisoned Owen Row. And it goes on and, and on in that line. Well who's uh, Owen who's Owen Row, Bridget? And uh, it was very telling. It told the whole story. Who's yeah. Owen Rowe? Owen Rowe O'Neill. Oh, he was a famous. Oh, I didn't hear that. He was a famous. There were the chieftains of the north. Chiron, Chiron, oh, yeah, yeah. and Chiron was Donegal, the O'Donnells, and there were the the chieftains that left after the Battle of Kinsale in sixteen o two because they were oh, defeated. Yes. They were yes. defeated, and O'Sullivan Bear came up to, as far as Leitrim with the whole army of people, but they died mostly on the way because of the harsh winter. And uh, then they went abroad, they went to Europe and they joined their armies and it was a shame what happened because then Cromwell took over and mm. it was disaster. We have a sad history, haven't we? Oh, yeah. tragic, yeah. <laughs> Tough a hard time, hard time for but Ireland. Despite all that, uh, one time we were in Italy uh, and uh, we were in a coach and uh, the driver was Italian and we tried to get in one gate, the regular entry, and we couldn't. We, there was some, some work going on there and we didn't get in, we had to go around about. And then we started laughing and he thought we were laughing at him. And we said, oh no, we're not laughing at you. We're la That's what Irish people do when, in, the fa in the face of tragedy, they often laugh. We do. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you laugh instead of cry. Yeah. Sometimes you, that's if, all you can do, yeah. Yeah, it's all you can do sometimes. Mm. And you might that's... see the funny side of it right away, but you do. You Eventually. Yeah. yeah. But I don't well, know what it was that, that, as I say, I prefer to write factual things. Yeah. Mm. Only when I was pushed by the, the tutor. I yeah. would try. <laughs> yeah. Story. Well, it's all to show in your wonderful book that I would encourage anyone who's listening to go out and get themselves a copy. It's called In My Mind's Eye, Walking Among Amongst Ghosts, uh, 95 Stories and Poems by Bridget Kavanagh to mark her 95 years. They were Bridget so clever, my sons, to, to give that title and get 95 yeah, stories. Absolutely. And the way they worked it, then they had one poem for each chapter. Yeah. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't think I had that many poems. <laughs> it's pieced together so wonderfully. You well have done a great to collection. you and to your sons. Absolutely. And then Ed does all the, this kind of stuff now. But uh, the, those two, they didn't think that it, it would last so long, the, the, this publicity, my sons, because they thought all they had to do was make out the book. <laughs> Oh, but then well, there's the chats and the talking about the book and promoting the book and it's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that if you got it uh, published officially, that yeah. you would have to travel around 
um, a tour, yeah. You, know, you would, but I didn't think when it's self-done that you had to. You know? But you will yeah. be travelling. Will I? Yeah, because uh, was it, I wasn't sure, was it Molly or Misha got the book and Char- Charlie Burns in, in, in Galway have asked. Yeah. I'll never be able to go to Galway. They've asked, they've asked for you to do a, a reading there. Yeah. Wow. So that may, might happen later in the year, ma'am. Bridget, I think we'll wrap it up there unless there's anything else you'd love to add or anything else anyone wants to say. Thank you very much for your attention. Uh, thank you, you for chatting to us. All. It, was, it was an absolute Molly joy. It was a pleasure. And Misha. Yeah. Lovely to meet you. Beg your pardon? Yeah. It was lovely to meet you. And Molly was another former Mary, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Molly oh, comes right. from Mary. And yeah. lovely to meet you too. Lovely to meet you and thank you so much for coming on today. There you have it. That was Bridget Kavanagh joining us for a chat there. Thank you so much again to Bridget for joining us and to our son Aidan for helping set up the microphones and the gear. In My Mind's Eye, Walking Amongst Ghosts is available in Strokestown in Dawn Till Dusk, Bernie's and Spar in Elfin, Glancy's and Newsround in Roscommon and Longford Town, in Four Mile Community House Shop in O'Connor's in Tulsk, in Spar in Kiltoom, in Kelly's Londis and Boyle Craft King House in Boyle and in O'Brien's in Lanesborough. You can also pick it up in Galway in Charlie's Bookshop or in Alan Hannah's in Rathmines. You can also keep up to date with our book on its Facebook page in my mind's eye, Walking Amongst Ghosts. You can find our podcast, In Fairness, on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. Make sure to tune in next week where we chat to Fergoli Theatre Company. You can hear more from us and our interviewees on our Instagram at InFairnessPod. Same on Twitter and In Fairness on Facebook. Feel free to get in touch on any of these platforms with any questions or suggestions you have for us. Thank you again to Roscommon County Council for supporting us in creating this series and to our amazing mentor Catherine Sheridan for helping us out. You've been listening to In Fairness Inquire Roscommon Artists. Research, questions and producing by Molly Mew. Sound engineering, editing and producing by Misha Fitzgibbon. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next week. (laughs) Thank you.